0: Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Wifford. Hey, hey. So today, we are going to be jumping into episode two of the Sandman series on Netflix. Imperfect
1: Hosts.
0: Yes. So like Mike said, the name of episode two is Imperfect Hosts, which is also the name of the second issue of Sandman. So we just did a little looking ahead here, and for the first several episodes here, the title of the episode is gonna line up perfectly with the episode or sorry, the issue titles of Sandman from the very beginning. However, we do take a little detour midway through the season, so we'll see what happens there. Before we get into the content for today's episode, though, I'm gonna give out the reminders here. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can do so on Instagram at fantasy rewindpod. And if you want to get at us on Twitter, that is at Fantasy Rewind. Or our email is FantasyRewindPod at gmail.com. Alright, so getting right into the content here with the Sandman Episode 2 Imperfect Hosts. Again, Sandman is the series based on the comic book um, that is written by Neil Gaiman. So we are diving in here. Mike...
1: What did you think of Imperfect Hosts? It was definitely a great episode to start setting up uh, some of the more mm, some of the bigger conflicts that are going to be coming, and the quest to regain his items, which is the main focus of the first book and this first season, really, or at least the first half of this season, I believe.
0: Yeah, like for me, like I thought that Imperfect Hosts was a filler episode but a filler episode full of information that was like setting up everything to come it also was one that i thought was really good at like tugging at the heartstrings a little bit there as well as providing some of that weird factor that i'm sure sandman is going to be full of and so like what i mean by that um very early on (laughs) into episode two you meet Cain and Abel from the Bible.
1: <laughs> so I was like, yes. what? <laughs> I was like, what's happening here? Oh, yeah. then there's more uh, Eve is in The Dreaming, too. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that completely caught me off guard um, because, again, I have not read the Sandman comics until after I've watched the episode here, mm-hmm. whereas Mike has read them before um, and everything, so he kind of already knows what's kind of common, maybe and i'm kind of looking at the comics after the fact being like oh this is this is in here this actually does happen or this is totally different and one of the things that i found interesting that happened in episode 2 right off the bat so lucian the librarian there for for morpheus in the dreaming there she in the comics obviously is a male character however she's not even present in this issue here for episode two, Imperfect Hosts, um, mm-hmm. towards the beginning here, whereas in the series, she sends him off, like, after the the item that he has made in the Dreaming personally to try to gain some power back there. And so, another aspect of that, that I found really interesting was just the dynamic between the two, how she's kind of like that subservient person that is like worshipping morpheus or a dream as like her lord or whatever but she also acts out and what the ways that she sees that are uh, that are best and i thought that dynamic between the two should probably play out nicely throughout the season here
1: oh agreed and i like that they've been having her more present than she was in the books and She's providing the audience with some very important exposition and, you know, just like information dumps kind of in a conversational type of way, which I think is vital, again, to understanding uh, Dream and his powers and the significance of what he's doing. Definitely, definitely. So diving into episode
0: two here, Mike, do you want to kind of walk us through it and we'll kind of comment as we go?
1: I'll do a little bit of that. Uh, So we open up in episode two to a decimated dreaming. Uh, Like you're going through, you're seeing his main castle there, home, and it's just torn apart, falling apart, decaying. Whatever words you would like to use to describe it, it's not in great shape. Uh, I do want to take just a moment to point out the guards. So when we first go through, you see like the pegasus, the griffin, and the dragon. Who are kind of over his door, and that's a staple throughout the series. You see them, um, and they guard the door and don't let people in unless Dream allows them in. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of a, just something that goes throughout the series. You'll see, and you see them all turned to stone. And I, I mm. still think that's such a nice touch. All these little details that are there and present. They really spent a lot of time making sure that the sets and the visuals really stayed true to the source material, and I think that was really important. We go into it, uh, into the main hall there. You see Dream Morpheus kind of walking around, like, what the heck happened? It's all gone. Uh, Lucien's talking about how she had a journal detailing everything, and then all of a sudden the words are disappearing, and then the library disappeared, which mirrored what happened in the uh, comic as well, is that mm-hmm. those libraries did disappear. Those books really are just dreams recorded, which is kind of cool. And then she's giving exposition, you know, about how it all went away. And then he tries to... He's like, oh, no, this is so bad. And tries pulling pulling it all back together. And then as he's doing it, it's just like, oh, no. falls to the floor. <laughs> <And> see, <laughs> I kinda, I, I'm not going to lie. I laughed just a little bit. At that. I like that part because I thought
0: it was cool to show, like, how after 100 years of captivity, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm this big bad man. You know, like, I can do whatever mm-hmm. I want to do. I'm Dream of the Endless.
1: Oh crap I can't do it (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't quite work that way And it shows just how important those items That we're taking from him are Mm -hmm. Uh, And because And you find out later on in the next episode And I don't really feel like this is too much of a spoiler That he Those items are part of him
0: yeah, like, I know you had mentioned that a couple times already, um, but I think it was cool to, like, see that actually addressed in the show. And, like, when we talk about Episode 3, we'll get to that part
1: there and go into more details. And I keep bringing it up because it's going to be important later on. <laughs> um, anyway, so he tries doing that, falls flat on his face. He says he has to get his items back, ask if there's anything left in the Dreaming that he had built. Lucian's, like oh well you know what about all this that's all you, build you built everything like, yes which is true and he's like something's still intact and then we queue over and she's like yes and then we queue over to um to kane and abel kane and abel um well actually we also have a um switch to ethel
0: oh that's true yeah
1: crips um Now, I do want to say this. I thought this was really interesting. They made the time, like, what year she is. Like, we know it's present, but, like, is it our present? Or is it, like, Mm -hmm. 1990 or 2000? You know, they made the time very ambiguous. Right, Like, there's items in her her apartment where it's, like, oh, like, the TV monitor. Like, that's old. Like, this must be, like, 90s. But then the phone is kind of nice. And then the fact that she uh, has, like, an electronic, like lock so it's all very the timeline there is very ambiguous which i thought was really neat and kind of a nice way to do it because since she has lived for so long
0: see that's how i kind of took it i kind of took it as like seeing a little bit of everything throughout the time mm. to like show she's lived through all of these innovations all of this invention and everything but the modern cell phones the modern security
1: systems that's definitely that phone. well Semi-modern, yes. whatever. <laughs> Which, I mean, they're coming back, so, you know, yeah. it could be modern. Right, but... Uh, I thought I thought it was cool, though. But all
0: of that was, like, screaming, like, modern-ish, like, 2000s later for me.
1: hmm Now we had a uh, Con- uh, Corinthian show up, and he does a lot of... he. This is also a very exposition-heavy kind of conversation, and it's really setting up for this idea of Dream being very wrathful. Mm. Like, hey, it doesn't matter that you didn't take it. Uh, He's going to come for you, too. You, your
0: son, everyone you love. mm
1: -hmm. And this is really important. This episode and next episode, I think, are really good in building the ideas about what kind of person. And I put that with air quotes because he's not really a person. uh, What kind of being, being, dream is. Yes. Like, what does he believe in? What does he think is important? What is... What does this character care about? And really, it's a big piece here is duty. And I don't say that like, you know, duty, duty, but like, duty. He believes he has a job to do, and his job is to keep the dream realm going and to make sure people have dreams and nightmares, and he provides those things. And that's really evident as we flip back over and we go to Cain and Abel in this next scene. What did you think of this scene, Dylan? So this scene here...
0: Like I said, I watched the show before I read the comics, and I was like, wait, Cain and Abel, like, (laughs) what are they doing in this show? Like, I thought this was Sandman, not, like, (laughs) some book of the Bible come to life here. But watching this scene here, I thought it was a really interesting take on Cain and Abel. It took, like, the classic tale of, you know, Cain being the first murderer, killing his brother Abel, being the first victim... And switching it around a little bit, showing it in a little bit of a humorous light there with some fantastical elements thrown in, like Abel rising from the dead every time that Cain kills him. And like, I thought that Gregory was really cool and fun and everything and just, oh my God, what happens to him later on.
1: He Woo. was. It, that was really. I agree. Tugging at the heartstrings. Like they did such a good job. He was basically a dog. yes And it was like the cutest dog, the goodest boy, and he's gone. Um. Yes. Uh. So I don't know if you caught this, but Cain and Abel. They so they live next to each other. Yes,
0: in separate houses. Um,
1: yes. The house Cain of mystery is the house and the of house mystery, of secrets. And Abel is the house of secrets. It's really important, and I I, I actually uh, we skip just a little thing here, but that's really important. So Luciana brings up asking because Morpheus says he he's going to ask the f- Furies for help. Uh, the three the three and one the kindly ones, which again is a good name to remember. He's going to ask them for help or assistance in finding his lost vestments. And Luciana brings up, well, why don't why do that? Like it's going to cost you a lot to do it. Like. Ask your siblings, ask destiny, ask, um, I forget who else she mentioned, but ask one of them, but Morpheus refuses.
0: Right. I was actually going to bring this up later if you didn't bring it up, so I'm glad that you are. So, yeah.
1: It shows an important thing, one, about Dream, Morpheus. He believes that, you know, each of us are responsible for our own... Uh, you know realms and we don't interfere with each other and as she points out the others don't necessarily believe that like he does and that's that's important to remember as we continue going forward and it really brings up a good question though like where were they exactly and it seems like Morpheus was actually kind of upset by this yeah and uh, you'll find later on that he does he is relatively close with some of at least one of his siblings so that's important to remember as we're going forward as well.
0: I had the same exact questions that Dream did, to be honest. Like, I was like, wait, so you have all these siblings here. You're saying, Lucian is saying, go get help from them for this. Well, why didn't they help you escape in the first place? Why didn't they help you when you needed it? Was it because you were too proud to ask or whatever? Or was it because of some other reason that we see going on here? But also a quick correction for you. So it is just Lucian, not Luciana. Okay. Um, um, Okay. Just like in the show, it is in the comics. They just gender swapped it, kept the name exactly the same there. Um, But yeah, like that whole discussion really got me thinking about like, wait, why was this the case? Why didn't they help? And so it kind of intrigued me a little bit and like so i'm interested to definitely see what happens next with the siblings when they'll be introduced and in what way will they approach dream
1: yeah well i definitely think we'll be meeting at least one in episode six Mm. so just we'll see if that comes true or not okay um as i put put here dream shows that duty is above all else Even though he doesn't want to take Gregory, and you do see that, Mm -hmm. like, because it cuts back over the, or, or, you know, still Cain enables there, and he's kind of, uh, he's taking Gregory back, because he made him to get some of his power back in order to summon the Furies. And, uh, I I thought that was a good scene, because it does show how much he cares about the things he creates. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. you know, at least the ones that do their job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd feel the same about Corinthian. But, right. You right. know, I digress.
0: No, but I thought it was so interesting because like that scene where he's reabsorbing Gregory, Cain and Abel are both like basically begging him not to. Abel's like, if you must, you must. Cain's like, no, I refuse. I will not let you. And then he's like, well, I'm, I'm doing it. Sorry, I didn't come here to ask your permission. And I came to ask Gregory. Yeah, I came here to ask Gregory and Gregory you saw understood and was willing to sacrifice himself Mm -hmm. for the sake of the dreaming. And I thought personally that this scene was done so much better on screen than it was in the comics, because in the comics, he doesn't reabsorb Gregory. Gregory's still alive and flying around. What he does absorb is the contracts he had given Cain and Abel yeah. to, like, say, oh, you will work for me. You will, you know, harvest these nightmares. You will, you know, be the purveyor of these things. And I was like, that's kind of lame. After watching yeah. what he did this with Gregory. This was much more
1: emotional. Agreed. So much more emotional. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I had kind f- not forgotten. I was like, I'm pretty sure that he didn't absorb Gregory in the comics. Otherwise, I would have remembered this, but... Yeah, that makes sense why I wouldn't have remembered that. It, it is kind of forgettable. Yeah. Has there's zero no real implications. Con- there's no real yeah. consequences. There's, there's no real stakes. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, this piece of paper. Yeah, you can have it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So then we get um, Dream going into dreams. <laughs> he goes to this river. Uh, he plunges in. He realizes that he doesn't have quite as much control anymore as he used to, mm-hmm. which... Makes sense with his weakened state and also shows that like, you know, the dream is kind of something that you actively have to manage. It's Mm -hmm. not something it's like a set it and forget it thing, which makes sense because dreams evolve and change and they can be very unpredictable. Like when we think about our own dreams, it's not like you go to bed and you plan out what you're dreaming like. It can take twists and turns. And I think visually this was done really well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is something, like, across the board. Visually, everything has been stunning uh, so far. I have no complaints about that. I think it's such a strong point. But we have him getting the crossroads, the hanging, and I just love the narration through that because it's, mm-hmm. like, so cool. Because that's kind of how it was in um, the comics. Like, yes, in this person's dream, in this person's dream. And it's very neat, and it shows his, like, what he can do. Now, we, he gets all these materials, and he meets the uh, Furies. What did you think of the Kindly Ones? And I will just keep swapping through their names because they have so many. Well, there's the, the Morrigan,
0: three. there's the Hecate, yeah. there's all this other stuff there. And just yeah. right off the bat, the Morrigan made me think of Wicked and Divine, the comic there. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I need to get back into reading that maybe. Such but, a good comic. Uh, anyways... I thought that it was really cool, the way that it was done. I loved how, like, even in the comics here, as opposed to, like, in the, the show, they did the same type of thing where, like, you'll see one sister pick up the... Like, a frog or whatever, start to lift it up, and then it'll shift to the other one, putting it in her mouth, and then, like, shift to the other one, swallowing it. So it's, like,
1: mm-hmm. sh- truly
0: showing, like, the three in one, which was kind of cool. Um, I thought that the whole scene here was definitely definitely interesting. Um I like how they did give him riddly answers, like vague answers. And he's like, "Wait, who has it? A mother gave it to her son." Well, mm-hmm. where's the son? One question per person." Yeah, I know. And I was like, "Oh man." Um but I thought it was really interesting too because looking at that scene from the perspective of the show comparing it to how it was done in the comics, the comics integrate several DC characters here like that's like oh this one the Justice League has it oh this one John Constantine has it oh yes. this one you know as the mother gave it to her son um that was the only one that was exactly the same but um the well
1: and I mean the Constantine one they really just
0: yeah swapped. We'll, we'll get to that next episode yeah next
1: episode um
0: but yeah the the entire scene there I thought it was really cool how like basically they accepted his. Uh, what do I call it, his offering of dreams to them. And it made me question, like, why do they value these dreams, or is it just, like, the symbology that it represents?
1: Hmm. I think it would be the symbology more than the actual, like, dream. Hmm. And, I mean, when dream makes something, it becomes reality, really.
0: Yeah. Well, I know they got down on some snake- But, like, I was like, why would you want a hanged man? And then, like, because in here you saw Dream himself getting hung and then, like, falling down into the next dream that he was going into and everything. Mm. And he obviously only gave them the noose. He didn't give them himself. But, yeah, I thought it was just really interesting and uh, kind of like a cool throwback
1: to, like, Greek mythology a little bit for, like, how, uh, how they were doing it. And we'll see some more mythology thrown in at different points. We'll get into Egyptian. I mean, it is Neil Greek, Gaiman. We get into Norse. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll, we'll get it all. It's great. It is really great.
0: What were your thoughts of the scene there?
1: Uh, I thought it was really well done. I liked the swapping back and forth and kind of the one, then the other, then the other. And I think that is exactly how they needed to do it. And mm-hmm. they did it. Chef's on that.
0: It also kind of made me think a little bit of um, the Sanderson sisters from the Halloween movie there. Um, Oh, my God. I forget the exact name of it. But anyways, just like the three witches, basically. And I'm like, oh.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, The one with, like, Mr.
0: Binks the cat and stuff. I I forget the exact name of it. It is.
1: Yeah, I don't remember. I know what you're talking about, though. Good movie. Um, Alexis really liked that movie. I didn't watch that until... (laughs) We watched it together. I do want to point out too uh, when Dream went to the water and looked in, like that was so cool—the reflection in the water, Hocus Pocus. Love. yes, that's the movie. Uh, but Dream looking in the water, the eyes reflecting and the glowing. Yes, oh, that's so good. Again,
0: visuals have been stunning in this show, and I'm I loving know. every minute of it. Can't really, just yeah,
1: can't get enough of that. But yeah, I think that's kind of it for that episode. I know. um there is some conversation about with Ethel about her son Jonathan Cripps, mm-hmm. and
0: oh, so doesn't... he left out some major stuff here with Ethel. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, that's right. Yes, she goes and sees him. After well, that's, she... that's next episode. Oh, yes. Um, All
0: right. so in this episode Corinthian comes to Ethel and like is basically yes. trying to like say, "Hey, where is uh where are the where are the vestments that uh, that dream had? I know you took we can them. Help each other out. Yeah, we can help each other out." And basically starts threatening her, and she's like, are you sure you want to do that? And yeah, then just, like, obliterates prediction.
1: him. <laughs> yeah. And you see the power of that amulet later on, too, but...
0: But yeah, I thought that the other part that was interesting to note here was how, of all the vestments, he's like, okay, so my helm is in hell. Ah, I can't really go to hell to to get this right now. I'm not powerful enough to take on the demons down Lucifer. there. Yeah. And then he's like, oh... My my sand, you know, Constantine
1: has this, okay. I can I'll go there. That seems easy enough. And he's had he's had some dealings with uh the Constantines before. Right. And you'll read more about that as you get through the series, but so I think in it was the same way in the comics. Like he went for his sand first. Yep, well, and for then the he sand went for first, his home, then yeah, all, then all the that jewel stuff was the final the piece. Last
0: <clears throat> but I thought it was in really Netflix. interesting too how basically uh, this episode, episode two, here was just setting up that Pokemon quest, as you kind of call it there. I'm like, just like going out after all of his vestments, starting to go out and like re get, or you know, not re get, re his power, you know, get all of his items of power and try to get back up to full strength here. And you don't see him at full strength at the end of episode two, you see him a little bit stronger. Just nowhere near what he can actually accomplish when he has all of his things there.
1: And I'm excited to see the power jump as we progress. Me too. I really hope they show it because by the end there, I want to see him like stupid powerful, you know? Well,
0: I also feel like the adversaries he takes on will get more and more powerful too. So like I'm wondering like if we'll see like a clear jump in his power Or if we'll just, like, see a gradual shift of what's required matching his new skill level, basically. I guess we'll see. Only one way to find out, and that's to keep watching and reading. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right, but that's all we got for episode two here Imperfect Hosts. So what were your thoughts on this episode? Did you like the story building? Did you like the world building? Do you feel like it was a little too slow for you? Let us know what your thoughts are, and we'll continue our Sandman coverage going on into Episode 3 next. So, with that, this is Two Nerds signing off. See ya. See ya.